Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and this is the show where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics, and we always do it from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Joining us for the third time will be Dr. Dominic Vachon. He's a PhD psychologist who runs the Compassion in Medicine program at the University of Notre Dame. You know, Tom, I, I'm almost embarrassed, or I find it kind of comical that someone is studying how to teach us to be compassionate in medicine. <laughs> it seems like a it seems like an unflattering sign of the times. No, it would be unflattering my... if they were teaching the opposite. <laughs> you know, that was my sort of knee jerk uh, to the topic. But again, I began reading about our guest, and uh, I'll have to admit, I, I creeped on him a little bit uh, on his website, <laughs> and uh, his his work isn't about teaching hard, cold, and different technicians how to smile at patients. You know, it's much, much more than that. I, I gather, and I'd, I'd love to hear him describe it, but his work's really about teaching healthcare professionals of every ilk uh, to become good at compassion as a way to help their patients and not experience professional burnout at the same time. Uh, and that's something that we've had several guests talk about, and we know yes. a great deal about the dangers uh, of professional burnout. And it's a real problem in American medicine to a pandemic level uh, of its own. Um, but I think we've all heard sort of the stereotypical, you might say, assertion that as professionals, as physicians, we're not to get too involved or too emotional, that we're supposed to somehow stay uh, untouched by the circumstances of the patient in front of us. Um, which can sound a little distasteful, but but did you ever get that sense that that was the norm in your medical training, medical school, and residency? Um, the norm. I wasn't taught taught anything about compassion. It was just whatever <laughs> I saw modeled. And, and for listeners, this isn't going to just be about physicians and patients, because in every relationship, compassion is part of it. So please hang on. Ah, well said. Although everyone listening is either a physician or a patient. <laughs> well said. <laughs> but, you know, I did my residency in OBGYN at the University of Virginia, a little bit of a stodgy place sometimes, maybe not today, but at least it was then. Uh, but it reminds me of that great movie, Patch Adams, <laughs> and his view of humor, among other things, really made the profession of medicine think to some degree differently about that that linkage between physicians uh, and patients. And, and I know the movie had a great deal of fiction involved, but it did do a nice job of depicting this idea that professionals are not to become emotionally involved and uh, that our patients, and we have to keep boundaries between our patients um, and this sort of stereotypical approach. Um, and he really broke that mold, at least his character did uh, yes. in the movie. Did you have a, a Patch Adams in your training uh, at some point? Uh, not until I met our friend, uh, Dr. Eustace Fernandez here in Fort Wayne, but I, I no, there was no patch Adams, but the man who uh, gave me the desire to be a dermatologist was so truly concerned with other people without going past boundaries. Cause there are certain boundaries, but they're not as strict or high walled as we might say. After seeing uh, Dr. Marshall Gwill be the quintessential dermatologist, quintessential Southern gentleman in how he treated patients, that gave me a vision for what I could be with patients. How about you, Chris? Well, uh, yeah, fascinating. I can think immediately of Dr. Patrick Duff. Uh, he's still at the University of Florida in the Department of OBGYN, made me really choose to be an obstetrician gynecologist. Not only was he a consummate gentleman, but he just had a way of conveying such empathy and compassion. And it, it wasn't contrived. It was so authentic um, that it really, to this day, I think about how he talked to patients, how he sometimes gave uh, really bad news in such a compassionate way. Uh, but, you know, you and I work in opposite areas, you might say. I talk to people experiencing a lot of pain from infertility or pregnancy yes. loss. You talk to people about serious cancers that literally are very disfiguring at times. It can be overwhelming. What do you think is the difference between our colleagues who sort of do compassion well and maybe those who don't? 
Boy, I mean, that's part of the reason for this interview with Dominic. But, you know, in reflecting after, you know, three decades in medicine now, I think people who run from being compassionate have the biggest problem with it. Uh, mm-hmm. The more they run from it, the worse we get at it. And the more we embrace it and the embrace the patient, I guess the better we get at it. But there's so much more to it. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if I think about the great people that I've seen that are the most compassionate, I have to say there's the element of authenticity. They are truly empathetic. And to be empathetic is to to feel the other's pain. And I think they they were the greatest ones are fearless of becoming too involved or, or hurt uh, by it. Um, and they somehow manage not to burn out despite not necessarily setting up setting up those those boundaries. Um, and I think too, there's something, and we can save this for our guest maybe, but I think it's possible to become addicted almost to the big the big stories, the big things. You know, the dying patient that you get so close to and, and the cancer that you cure, um, that maybe you lose compassion and, and just get on sort of an adrenaline high. And maybe that's part of the burnout. We'll have to ask, uh, ask our guests about that. But, well, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is our profession in medicine in general. I know what you're going to say, I think, but <laughs> do, do you think we've become less compassionate with our patients? And, and if we have, why do you think that is? Because I think compassion is a right brain concept in a left brain world. Medicine <laughs> has become more focused on outcomes instead of, which is a left brain thing, than of processes and relationships, which is a right brain thing. And as we've learned from our other guest, Kevin Majors, you know, the right brain is the the proper director of the left brain. Many of us have it backwards. And in medicine today, we're more and more focused on efficiency, on numbers, on money, on coding. And guess what? There is no code for being compassionate. (laughs) There certainly isn't. Yeah. The closest thing that comes to it is you know, so many hospital systems worried about patient satisfaction scores, um, and yes. really they're worried, they're worried about the outcome. They're worried about the number uh, on the survey, not whether the patient was actually satisfied, but what the number on the survey says. Uh, but I'm with you. Uh, we've, we've moved from relationship to process, and as a result, too often, compassion has, uh, has been the victim of that. But maybe our guest is going to help us and help our profession and other professions uh, become better at compassion. And you know what, uh, Chris, to set up the questions, well, I'd like to review from when he was on a couple years ago, he talks about four steps of compassion. And you touched on the key point I want to learn about from Dominic, and that is how do you keep from getting locked in to where you feel the bad emotions of another in empathy without feeling like they're your own and being brought down by them, but it's then brought up so you can respond to them. So the four steps in his book um, about compassion, his book, How Doctors Care, uh, is first, and it uses all of us. It uses our mind, our will, our emotions, and our body. So the first step of compassion, our mind notices somebody who's suffering. Secondly, our emotions feel some of what the other person's feeling, our natural empathy. The third step is that our will decides that we want to alleviate that suffering. And fourth is that our body then acts. We do some action to help relieve that suffering. So very simple. The the mind sees, the emotions feel with empathy, the will decides to help, and the body actually, our bodies, you know, help another. And the key point of this whole interview is to find out many people get stuck in the second stage of feeling bad with that other person and not knowing how to get to those other steps without trying to fight that bad feeling. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Yeah, I certainly have. Uh, And I think that, you know, some, it's like getting caught in a jetty in a river uh, and it can can be impossible to get out of that jetty. And and I'm with you. I think our guest is going to help us with some, uh, some real world advice on, how to be empathetic, not to run from empathy, but to lean into it, but at the same time, not to get stuck. Because for those of us that are parents, our spouses, our professionals, we've got got to move on to fight another day uh, and to help somebody else. 
So we can't get stuck in that empathy jetty, if you will. And it happens in relationships of all types. So this is applicable to everybody who's listening because nobody has any 100% of the relationships go completely smoothly. <laughs> well, before we go to our break, I think it's time that we lay out this trivia question that is of an orthopedic nature. Yeah, well, what's that got to do with compassion? Well, the topic is <laughs> orthopedic injuries and compassion. And I learned about this story uh, through our guest, through through Dominic. And I actually talked to him the day before we recorded this. So he knows that this is going to be a key part. And he loves talking about this story. So for those of you who like NCAA basketball, in 2013, Louisville and Duke were playing in, in a regional, I think it was a semifinal. And so there is a state there when one of the players on the Louisville team has a horrific injury on the court. And when this injury is seen, we'll, we'll let Dominic describe what the injury was. Three of the other players on the court are just writhing in agony down at the top of the key on the court. They're like, this is so awful. So they're stuck in that second stage of empathy. They're feeling the pain but it's making them worse. It's not making them better persons. But there was one other player on the court who is calm as can be, goes over and is kneeling at the side of his friend who's on the court and, and, and doing and saying these incredibly helpful, calming, soothing, loving things. What was the difference between that player and the other three? So my question is, the trivia question is, this player broke a bone. So what is a fracture called if the fracture does not go through the skin? Second part of the question, what kind of fracture does break through the skin? What do we call that? And what kind did the player in the example have? Which means you're going to have to listen to our guest, Dominic Vachon, talk about Kevin Ware and his injury in 2013. We'll be back with Dominic after the break here on Dr. Doc. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor. We're here with Dr. Dominic Vashan. He's going to talk about compassion in everyday life. He's a director of the Hillebrand Center for Compassionate Care and Medicine at the University of Notre Dame. He was previously director of behavioral medicine and caring science at the Family Medicine Residency Program. He's a practicing psychologist, used to be a hospital administrator, and recently published a book, How Doctors Care. The Science of Compassion and Balanced Caring in Medicine. Dominic, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be back. Dominic, we're, Dominic, we're so happy to have you. I, I am a, also a recovering physician uh, hospital administrator. How are so you? We'll, have to, we'll have to compare our healed wounds at some point. Well, actually, another I wasn't an administrator. I was an assistant to administrators in, in mission, and, but uh, it was enough to be right there to go, oh my gosh, this is, hard. <laughs> this is hard. Well, Dominic, what makes this topic of compassion so important to you that you're investing your professional career uh, into this one area? Wow. Uh, it, it is my whole life, really, more than my career. I mean, first was experiencing it in my own family with illnesses, especially my brother's cancer. Uh, and feeling it from that side of us as a caregiver. And then professionally, um, you know, studying psychology, studying empathy and doing research on it, but then burning out myself and hating my patients 27, 28 <laughs> years ago. Uh, but then um, recovering from that and then witnessing nurses and doctors going through the same thing. And then years later, getting the science behind what happened to us and how all our lives are better when it's rooted in compassion. And the mm -hmm. idea that we can do this without compassion is just, uh, I, I just want to get this information out to people in terms of how we're training physicians and nurses and other helping professionals that this really works. <laughs> this really is helpful and if you're really burning out, there is hope there, uh, of recovering from that. Now, that's an important message. You know, as, as all of our listeners will eventually read your book, they'll know um, <laughs> that one of the major claims, number 17 listeners, uh, in your book is that human beings are built for compassion, not for speed, but we're built mm -hmm. for compassion. What, what does that really mean? 
What that means is that we are biologically and psychologically built for compassion. Uh, the whole reason that we were successful as a species from an evolutionary point of view is that we were able to notice each other in distress and to respond to each other. And mm. so uh, Dacre Keltner, uh, working with Darwin's work, basically looks at that as survival of the kindest. That is why <laughs> we were successful as a species, because biologically we are built that way. And so what's going on now with the, the, the ability to look at this biologically and neuroscientifically and psychologically, I think of this as Hubble telescope time in the helping <laughs> professions. So we, we're not inventing compassion because compassion is, is being human. Uh, but what we're, what now is what's going on is we have the instruments to really be able to look at what's going on. Just like the Hubble telescope didn't invent millions of galaxies. It basically <laughs> enabled us to see them. And so that's what's going on now is we're able to say, wow, this is more profound than we imagined. Uh, it's, it's really how we're built. And when we violate that part of ourselves, we're not happy. Things don't go well. Hmm. Well, so Dominic, that's a great lead in. I briefly described at the beginning of the show, the four steps of compassion. Uh, the first step, you know, noticing that somebody with your mind, noticing somebody who's suffering. The second step is with your emotions, feeling some of what that suffering person is feeling. And then third, moving into your will to decide to relieve the suffering. And fourth, to actually do something with your body to help the suffering. So you say on your book, page 90, that you think the key to managing clinician burnout and maybe burnout in other relationships is understanding and living the distinction between empathy and compassion. Because you say yes. in your book, a number of people get stuck in that second stage of empathy, of feeling what the other person is feeling, and they get something called empathic distress. So first of all, yes. what is empathy and how is it different than from compassion? Uh, so th there's many definitions of empathy. So a good practice is when you're talking with people, get clear on your definitions, because sometimes people will use the word empathy and really mean compassion. But technically uh -huh. speaking, empathy is the ability to uh, uh, have some sense of what the other person is feeling and understanding their experience. And so empathy is a, is a two-step process. Uh, we, we call it bottom-up processing and top-down empathy processing. So the, the bottom-up empathy part of the bottom-up uh, part of empathy processing is that when you uh, observe pain, when you observe suffering, your, your brain is registering that in your own pain network in your brain and your mirror neurons. So there is an automatic empathic resonance where you are picking up uh, uh, automatically what uh, the feelings are, the emotions are. And then what happens is the second step, which is we call top-down empathy processing. And this is the, the part of our minds that are under our cognitive control. And this is where we go, what's going on? And we infer and articulate what the other person is going through. Um, so the, the first part of empathy is an automatic one. Um, and then the second part is how you read that experience in yourself and in the other to kind of go, okay, what are they going through? So it's kind of an open channel in some sense. So what happens in everyday life is that people encounter people who are suffering. And if they are not used to it or they, they're not prepared for it, they can get overwhelmed by that. And how does that, does, is that like getting stuck between the bottom up and the top down? You feel the emotions, but you're thinking or understanding it wrong, or is it something different than that? It's a, it's a little different because the, the bottom okay. up and the top down are both empathy. Uh, okay. And so by itself, you are getting a reading on what's going on with the other person. And that's natural. You don't have to train to be able to do that. Yeah, you can, you can damage it. You can shut it down, but it's there. Now, the, the key thing is that by itself, 
but by itself, you don't have compassion. What happens is that empathy is the second step in the compassion process. Yes. So yes. you notice suffering, you're moved by it, which is what we're talking about right now, empathy. And then yes. the third piece, it moves into, well, it either moves into, I can't handle this, I'm out of here. Or it moves into, I want to do something to help alleviate the suffering in this other person. Uh, and then the fourth step is, I'm going to do something that actually tries to help alleviate that suffering. So, so it moves from an, an, an experience of the other person's distress, and it's channeled into this move to reach out to the person. Why don't you use the Kevin Ware the- story now, the, you know, that basketball story? And I think maybe yes. you can unpack the concept of empathic distress using that story. Oh, that's a great idea. So... All right, so this is uh, the 2013 NCAA Elite Eight basketball tournament. And Louisville is playing Duke. And Kevin, these are Louisville players that we're talking about here. Kevin Ware gets a a fracture of his tibia. And so um, his bone on his lower leg is sticking out through the skin. So I I haven't seen a close-up picture of this, but it, it was an awful injury. It was so awful that the players around him and the coaches and anybody who could see it kind of doubled over in horror of it. Just the, these, these uh, you know, strong basketball players are just like all of a sudden incapacitated. And these pictures are on the internet. You can look this up and you will see these players doubled over, hands on their heads, Except there's one player, and his, his name is Luke Hancock. He approached Kevin immediately. Um, so that becomes this huge demonstration of this automatic empathic resonance, this mirror neuron kind of dynamic, where people saw this awful injury, and in their mirror neuron pain network in their own brains, they experienced that as if they, it was happening to them. And, and so that demonstrates that bottom-up piece. Now, eventually, the players were to be able to get around him and support their teammate. But Luke was able to go immediately to his side. And then in some of the pictures, you'll see the first responder is there. And so you expect the first responder, the paramedic, to be able to handle that. What's interesting is to see a fellow basketball player, the only one able to immediately approach him. And that becomes that demonstration of how uh, that powerful empathic connection is immediately translated into reaching out in this compassionate response. But what happens- It almost seems like there's a a graduated level and the fourth level is really the highest level. That's right. that, That recognizing that a broken leg is bad that's pretty elementary, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but actually moving your body to go in and do something about it is, is a higher level function. It is. But what happens is with something like that, and it happens with all kinds of things in life, whether it's psychological suffering, physical suffering, whatever it might be, that uh, you uh, many times you feel it in your gut. So when you see that bone sticking out of the skin, uh, that image just immediately jolts you. Or when you see somebody who has a burn or a car accident or something like that, right? Like right in the moment, you will mm-hmm. feel it in your gut. It will hit mm-hmm. you hard. Uh, and then, uh, and it's almost like the rest of your brain, the the co- more higher cognitive functions have to kind of catch up. So Dominic, how, how do we, what's the difference between those players? Many of us get stuck in empathic distress. We feel someone's out suff- someone else is suffering so bad, we might respond with hostility, with wanting to leave the situation, or getting over-involved and trying to treat their suffering so we feel yeah. better. But that's not the right way to do it. How do we, what's the difference between those who get stuck in it and those who don't? And how do we train ourselves so that we no longer have to get stuck in it? Well, this is a, a huge question, and it, I spent 600 pages trying to work <laughs> that out, you know, uh, and I, was, I could have kept going. Um, but um, but you're, what you said there really captures a lot of it. 
what what happens uh, with when somebody is suffering is uh, and we're we are encountering that suffering if uh, especially early on when we're not used to it we don't know what to do um, and so somebody's crying and we go oh my gosh what's going on or somebody's really angry or they have an injury so what happens is you feel it in your gut you uh, you start understanding or perceiving what's going on with them. And uh, what happens is you don't have a good distinction between yourself and the other person. So you feel the feelings as if they were your own. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when that, because you lose that sense of this is their suffering, it's not mine, uh, you just feel it as one. Now, that connection is what makes us human beings respond to each other because we are biologically attuned to the suffering of other people. We need that gut-level reaction. Uh, but what happens is when we, we don't know how to manage that, like you said, we'll take it on and we're like going, I'm out of here. I am not <laughs> going to deal with this. Or you go, oh my God, this is awful. And you get over-involved. And then you do things that are really not helpful to the other person. But basically, you're trying to put yourself out of pain. You're like, let me help you. Like, let's quiet you down so I don't feel so bad. And then the other move that often happens is that um, people get um, hostile. You know, and, uh, and this happens in healthcare a lot, where you get overwhelmed, but you, you, it doesn't feel you don't. You're, the person doesn't notice that they're overwhelmed. They just react in a very quick, angry way. But that functions as a way to distance themselves from the person. Now, what happens in compassion is that you notice, you're moved by it, but you have trained yourself or you know how to, there's a number of ways to get there, to be able to keep those two apart. Um, and, and so you're like going, okay, that's what that person's going through. And your, your move is one of reaching, wanting to do something and reaching out. So it's actually, uh, you're, you're feeling the negative aspect, but what's dominating is your positive response um, to it. Um, and um, now a student, when I was explaining this, I said, well, how do you all hear what I'm saying? And one of my students uh, was a certified nurse assistant. So CNA, working in nursing homes. Sure. I said, and she said, I, I think I can explain that. She said, there's two types of CNAs. When they come to a room and a patient is in the bed, in their feces and urine, there's one CNA who goes, oh my God, you're, you've got, you're in such a mess. Ow, I got to clean you. You know, we, you know, and the focus is on, I have to clean you. It's a disgust reaction. The second CNA comes to the room and goes, oh my God, how long have you been like this? Let's get you cleaned up. <laughs> so you see in the first, both of them notice suffering and are moved by it. But the second CNA immediately transforms that empathic connection into, oh my God, how long have you been like this? Let's get you cleaned up. Uh, so it sounds like a reframing that they're doing. They're thinking about it differently. And one of the things I've learned over the last year is that if I'm stuck in an emotion, one of the best things I can do is think about it. So if I'm really angry, well, how angry am I on a scale of one to 10? Immediately my anger yeah. drops and I see things more rationally. How is that concept related to getting out of empathic distress? It's related, but it's also even more. Good. So reappraisal, it, reframing is one of the ways to manage that situation. Um, but the compassion uh, mindset is it includes that and goes further. And we're uh, going to go further after our break. We have to take a break here. We're halfway through this wonderful interview with Dominic Bashan on being compassionate in everyday life here on Dr. Doctor. And welcome back to Dr. Doctor. And Dominic, we left on a great topic, and that was really how do we bring this compassion mindset? How do we develop it and grow it uh, and, and get better at it overall? Because this is a learned skill, isn't it? Yes, it is. But I mean, if we just start at the, you know, the something that we're all familiar with in one way or another, either as babies or as parents or caregivers in some way, you know, uh, 
So when somebody who's not used to hearing a baby cry for the first time and is alone taking care of the baby, they'll go, oh my God, what I got to do? What am I going to do? You know, um, but what happens, so you know, parents go through this, caregivers go through this. So you hear the babies cry, but inside you don't go, oh my God, this is awful. And you break down in tears too. You know what that cry means. You know, it's serious. You know, you need to respond. So you respond and uh, that is the compassion reaction. So that's, that's the circuit this is all built on. That is the brain circuit. This is in all of us as human beings, whether you have children or not, this is the circuit. So now in healthcare or in any helping profession or helping work, what happens is you're using that circuit over and over again. And you are every few minutes, maybe, seeing someone in a terrible situation over and over again. So that involves a number of things. You have The first thing is you have to train your mind to be able to handle that. So you have to become used to, for example, if you're working with people who have burns, you have to get used to uh, skin that is burned. But the other thing is you have to train your mind to be able to move in this uh, approach way. How do you do that? So part of it is certainly reframing, understanding what's going on. This is what our training does. But the other part is really, um, it, it involves a number of things. And I, I split it up into four areas. One is you got to have the attitudes of being balanced uh, in your caring. Uh, number two, you have to have practices and skills to be able to handle it. Number three, it really helps if you're in touch with your spirituality or your philosophy of life that basically has an ethic of reaching out to other people and how that makes sense in your worldview. And then the and we have that as Catholics, don't we? <laughs> exactly. And then the fourth part of that is uh, the organizational piece, because organizations can actually make you more burnt out or help you hang in better. So mm. now this is an involved thing, but ideally you help people. Well, you take it, you, you do whatever you can. And a lot of us, we just pieced it together as we went along. As many physicians tell me, I learned by trial and error. I thought <laughs> this was helping me and it didn't help me. Then I realized I needed to do this. So you, you basically, you train your mind to do this. You mean you work on your skills because skills are a very important part of this. Your competence is part of your compassion. The way you deliver it, your communication skills is part of that. And then the other part of that is what's going on inside you. How do you manage that? And so that it's an automatic kind of process. Now, formally, this has been researched and this, this is at the probably the beginning level in terms of formal research. But for example, um, I'm just um, just getting certified now to do what's called a CCT, Compassion Cultivation Training. And what you do is you literally, this is an eight-week course, two hours a week, and every day you do 25 minutes of guided um, uh, uh, meditation. Meditation is not exactly the right word, but you are training your mind. You're settling your mind to be focused. Then you're working on... Uh, uh, reaching out in compassion, usually with familiar people. Then you're learning how to be compassionate toward yourself. Then you learn, uh, you work on common humanity. We are all, we all suffer. We all desire happiness. And then it moves to how do you move that to people who are unfamiliar to you, neutral people, difficult people, all people. And then the final step in that uh, six-step process is where you are actively uh, being compassionate in every situation. So in any situation you're in, you might not be able to solve the problem. You know, this doesn't make you a superhero. But what it does do is that when they're suffering, to the degree that you're able to be helpful, you will approach. And your mind is trained to do that automatically and in a, an emotionally regulated way. You know, you're, you're able to keep your composure. Did that make sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, you can see a muscle getting stronger uh, as, as you develop it. It, it, it. That's our, we use that image of the muscle 
exercise, you know, exercising that muscle. So it's not to just to go with your image there. If you're going to, if you want to do a marathon, you don't run 26 miles tomorrow to get ready for the marathon. You (laughs) pace yourself, you build on it. So when you are doing uh, in, in compassion, it's similar depending on the kind of work you want to do or how to help others, you're basically going to train yourself in a layered way to get there. Now, some of that might come from your personal experience. Um, others might be formal training. Others might be what you learn from others or trial and error. But it's very much what you've hinted at there with the muscle. You are conditioned what is it, muscle. What is it about, about some people uh, that they just seem to naturally be so good at caring and compassion is is it their temperament is it their genetics i mean what is it that some people just come out of the gates as natural born caregivers well it's all of the above you know but a key factors in those individuals will be a lot of their experiences in their lives their mm-hmm. attachment history um, their experiences growing up how they manage those there's usually a story it's not like they were born out of the womb and they are able to do this. There is a story <laughs> of how they got there. Um, and, and, and I guess the bottom line, the, the main thing I keep in mind here is this is trainable. If you're a human being, this is in you. You know, Now, if you have a, a brain damage or a severe trauma that you haven't recovered from, that might interfere with this. But basically, as a human being, you are built to pick up what's going on in another human being and respond to it. And and that's why we have PTSD. PTSD happens because we human beings are affected by what happens to other people. And we can we can help people learn how to manage that overwhelming feeling and and approach the other person and help them. If so that's Dominic, the let's get nitty gritty here. Say each listener has some situation in their life where there's somebody they love, they care for, who's suffering, but in some respect, they're almost repulsed by it or they find that they they just are overwhelmed by it. What is something practical they can start doing today to become better at compassion? Well, first of all, especially with loved ones, it gets even more complicated and more overwhelming because you identify so much with them because you're related to them. So this is really hard to balance out. So you'll find yourself with loved ones who are suffering going back and forth. Um, And so one thing is just to notice when that's happening. You're like going, wow, you know, I am really swept up in this other person's suffering and they need me to be there for them. So one of the things you can do is, first of all, notice when that's happening, like going, whoa, wait a second, I'm really getting sucked in here. I can't even think straight now. Um, so you you like notice that, take care of yourself. You have to be compassionate to yourself so that when you give yourself to others, you're giving them a self that is helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then the other piece is, now I'll use this with, for example, when I have somebody who freezes in a situation, you know, like a student, we have a, they have to go in and do this really difficult thing with a patient or a patient actor or whatever. And they freeze. They said, I can't do this. Or they go in and they get overwhelmed and they come back out. And, and so I don't have time there to do a compassion cultivation training. Uh, So what I say, I said, okay, let's just, let's just pause for a second. Let's just calm ourselves down and let's think about this. This, this person, your loved one is suffering right now and they need you, how are they suffering right now? And so what you do is you help the person focus on how is that person suffering? And what is your desire, because you you care about them, what is your desire that comes up naturally inside you? So this, like, this is related to like a sports psychology technique. When you uh, are in a room, and uh, let's say you're by uh, a street, and you say to the person, don't listen to the car noises. Don't listen to the car noises. Well, it's impossible to do. But then if you say, I want you to listen to the hum of the air conditioning. I want you to listen to the hum of the refrigerator. And so then you focus your awareness on that and the other parts go in the background. So 
in a quick situation, in, in a rough situation, you you one of the ways you can get yourself centered is like, is to go, what is my loved one going through, and how can I be helpful to them? And that might involve getting help from others. It might mean you need to take a break here because you got you've been doing this without rest for hours or days or years. So, Dominic, which part of this? breaks that um, where self and other are no longer distinguished. What what action that we do breaks that? Because that seems to be the crux of the problem, this non-differentiating, the self-feeling from the other feeling. Wow. You know, it's, I'm, it's dangerous to try to be too simple about this, but I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll take the temptation and go with it. I, I, <laughs> uh, I think the key is that that when you encounter suffering, you get in touch with the positive desire to be helpful. In other words, it's a positive emotional experience. It's not like you're happy, but right. uh, it, it would be in the sense, you know, the expression that people have when they've done something for a cause for others, and they say, my heart is full. You know, they yeah. use that expression. So what yeah. will happen is you help somebody and it's like, and they say, oh my God, I can't believe you had to deal with this in me. I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. And that, and the person who's responding, the loved one says, of course, I'm going to be there for you. No, this is not a burden at all for me. So the key in that self-other thing is to get in uh, the self-other problem is to get in touch with the positive desire to reach out to the other person. And so it's a positive move. And that's very much what we do when we're training, helping professionals. We're basically accentuating that where we take, okay, use this feeling that you have that comes up naturally with a loved one. Now let's work on having that happen with a neutral person. Now let's have that happen with a difficult person. So basically you're training yourself in this natural uh, desire to respond to a loved one, you know? So does that help? That's that positive. It's a positive move. And so you're not even aware of it when you do it. Motion, we're focusing on what's the good thing I can do for the other person. Yes, exactly. But but it's connected to what's going on with them. So Absolutely. for example, so that's why noticing the suffering and being moved by it is so important because you can notice that somebody's suffering but not understand why they're suffering and then you just respond. You know, right. uh, the second step when we were feeling it, the focus is kind of turned inward and we have to turn, take that and let it to focus outward on the other person. Yeah. But we right? have to understand what they're really going through. What do they really need from you right now? So and that's where over, that that's where overhelping can come in, where you go, oh my God, this must be awful for you. And you imagine it, but it's not connected to what's going on. So you end up doing things for them that they don't need you to do but it's because ah. you haven't read them right. So when somebody's going through something, it's really important to like focus on what are they going through? What do they really need help with right now? Uh, what how is do we it figure that, that out? For those of us who are not good at reading others, how do we figure that out? Uh, you know, well, I guess I'm going back to what uh, we're doing this research study with uh, high stress clinical specialties. And I ask physicians, how did you learn this? And at the end, they they usually say trial and error, you know, uh, like I missed it in my patient. How did I miss that? And so they they learn from their experience and they okay. get better and better as they go along. And that's what happens to us as human beings. We're like, you know, if you're in a relationship and you're like going, why, how did that misunderstanding happen? And you go, oh, my God, I totally missed. And then you go, OK, how can I notice this better? So you pay attention to the cues. So it's a learning process. You're not perfect. Yeah. At it. You have to learn this as you go along. But but we're built to learn this. And the other thing as is I, when you as I you know as I listen, Dominic, it occurs to me that all of these lessons are brilliantly taught um, in the midst of childbirth between a woman and her husband. <laughs> um, so for over 25 years, I've watched husbands display all of the things that you described, overhelping, shock, yes. being frozen. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite phrases, I heard a husband who was overhelping saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And the wife lovingly said, you could, you could shut up. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. And, and but he was overhelping. That, that is a great, um, uh, you know, and we have a whole course that we do 
uh, training the skill of being present, being with. <laughs> and that's one of the classic examples that when somebody is giving birth or when somebody is sick or whatever, you know how to be present without inserting yourself for your own needs. You like, and uh, you know, people who are really good at this are people who work in hospice because they know when to get closer and they know when to fade in the background. Mm. You know, but ah. but but they, you know, yeah, and and this is true, and you you'll see it uh, all over the place where people have a sense of like, I'm needed now. I get closer. I'm not needed now. Let me go backwards. But uh, but the key is that uh, they're able to be with the other person without having to do something all the time. They're able to be quiet and settled. And then when it's time that they're needed, they're able to do it. So when they, in the example you're talking about with the husband and childbirth, um, that might be their first experience of that. And then it's complicated because they really love this person and they right. feel badly about the pain they're going through. Uh, they haven't learned how to... Uh, uh, balance that with, honey, I need you to be present to me. I don't need you to uh, keep trying to make everything all better. Well, Dominic, I think this episode just became required listing for all of my patients' husbands. <laughs> but uh, but it's so it's so commonsensical yet yet not. Uh, and and the most exciting thing I I think you said is that we can get better at it, and sure and there can. is hope for those of us who yeah. may not always notice the. The subtle cue. What resources would you recommend for our listeners? Oh, wow. Well, I, I'd certainly recommend my book. And even though it says how doctors care, um, it's really about how human beings care. So yes. um, so I, I tried to, in that book, create a source book that captured many other great wisdoms from many other people. And um, I, that's, I, I recommend people get that through Cognella Press. That's the most affordable way to get it. And that will lead you, the, the references in there lead you to a lot of this kind of work. And actually, there is, throughout the world right now, a lot of work being done on compassion and uh, cultivating that. Uh, and so I certainly have one part of that. But if you just start searching, you will find people who are doing this work. Thank you for being with us on another episode of Dr. Doctor. I think this has been great for our listeners. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor. And it's time for the answer to this episode's trivia question of an orthopedic, somewhat gruesome nature. Yes. So if you listened closely to Dominic, you found out what bone Kevin Ware broke on the court in this twisting injury coming down on his right leg. His uh, right tibia uh, broke in an astounding way that stuck several inches through the skin. Uh, even people from the rafters could see it. So the question was, what do we call a fracture or broken bone that does not break through the skin? And it can either be called a simple or a closed fracture. But Kevin, Kevin had the other kind, the kind that breaks through the skin. And we call that a compound or open fracture. And it's a, a higher risk for infection. And when bones get infected, they don't get cleared of bacteria very easily like other parts of our body do. So that's why it's, it's so crucial to treat that kind of wound, um, especially quickly and well. Yeah, the potential for massive bleeding from the large bones and the potential for infection, the mortality rate from a compound femur fracture or one of the large bones in the body is really very high as all trauma surgeons uh, and physicians know. If someone's in a car accident and their femur is broken and goes through the skin, uh, it's a serious life-threatening injury. So uh, it was so great hearing Dominic talk about Kevin and his teammates and how we can be truly compassionate. So Chris, what were your top three takeaways from this interview with Dominic? Well, you know, as often as the case with our guests, it's tough to pick three, isn't it? <laughs> but that's a nice problem to have. I love it when he said that humans are built for compassion. And this idea that um, we're the survival of the kindest, because we have to see and recognize hurting it and, and our fellow men um, and that we're built to do that. Well said. Uh, 
Yeah, I really like that. Uh, and then, of course, one of the big things for me is that we can get better at this. <laughs> so if you're listening and you think, I really would like to be better at being compassionate, we can get better. It's a learned skill. And certainly his research and work um, uh, is a good way to do it. Buying his book is a good way uh, for listeners who want to learn more about it. We'll try to link that on our website so you can find it. A trial and um, error is an okay way to live sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then last of the top three, I think if you're stuck in that empathy kind of jetty or that empathetic distress uh, out of someone's hurt, focus on one single thing that you can do to help that hurting person. That'll help both of you. It'll help the, the person hurting and it'll help you get out um, of that of that stuck position that you're in. So uh, Dominic's book is called What or How Doctors Care, The Science of Compassion and Balanced Caring in Medicine. How Doctors Care. And thank you for caring enough to listen to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share the good news of our show if you think it is good with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. Uh, and be sure to rate our program on your podcast app. It helps other listeners find us. You can check out this episode and all of our episodes way back to the beginning on our website, drdoctor.org. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.